If you're listening to this episode, you're listening to one of our first ever episodes. Yay, you. Uh, Depending on which episode you're listening to, you may notice that we're still working some things out like the music in episode one or the just general audio audio problems that we have all the time sorry yeah we want to leave these episodes up to show our progress so this disclaimer is to thank you for listening and hopefully you'll have patience with these things yes we definitely ironed it out in season two so more to come (laughs) welcome to our dog cast i'm sarah and i'm laurel and this is what is dog is it the question or the answer we're here, and both of our dogs are not, so the sad fact is that we spend a lot of time during the day away from home at places where our dogs can't come with us, and it's kind of, it's sad to be without your dog all day, and the question that comes up is, what do you do with your dog when you're gone? <laughs> I cannot agree more. I am worrying right now that Charlie's been at home for too long during the day. It makes does, me really sad. Does Charlie ever like, get into stuff while you're gone? Oh, all the time. So we have to actually put yeah. him in a crate. He's not allowed outside the crate. So uh, I definitely worry about Duke when I'm gone too, but um, we don't crate him. So the opportunities for him to get into stuff are... Endless. Yeah, they're endless. <laughs> they're infinite. So I've come home to... The number one thing he does that drives me crazy is he, if I leave any of my books out, he eats them. Oh my god! And so the book he most recently ate, it was so ironic, he ate this book called The Art of Racing in the Rain. That is so weird. And it's this book about, have you read it? No. Okay, so it's this book about a dog. It's written from this dog's perspective. They just made it into a movie. I actually, I didn't like the book very much, Why well, I never finished it, so I don't know, because <laughs> Duke ate it. But, um... He was jealous. He wants a book. Yeah, he wants a book. He wants a book deal. Yeah. <laughs> They're making it into a movie, so it's coming out really soon. The guy... There's a guy in it who was um, in This Is Us. Ah. Some people love that show. Dog movies are all the rage right now. They are, but they're always sad. They're always sad. I always cry so much. Marley and me, you would have thought that you murdered, like, my sibling. <laughs> the first time I saw Andy cry was watching Marley and me. <laughs> that's so adorable. <laughs> Is it, like, a thing? Like, you can't make a dog movie that's not sad? I don't know. I mean, I guess they want to... Well, dogs, like, they can really pull out your emotions, things like that. But yeah. dogs also make people really happy. Let's get some more happy movies out there. Come on, get, I guess, on, everyone. I guess they are making that new 101 Dalmatians in yeah. 2020. And that has happy endings, so... That's true. Yeah. That, it looks a little scary from the picture. I know. Corral DeVille looks evil. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the third one. I know. That's crazy. It's, so. It'll probably just keep going. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting kind of off topic, so... <laughs> As um, per usual, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> but there's so much to talk about with dogs. <laughs> that was a stupid thing. <laughs> okay, so today's topic is what do you do with your dog while you're at work? And so I did a bunch of research on um, specifically how that impacts dogs' overall health in terms of separation anxiety and things like that. And so we actually have a little study to share. Um, It's our first study. Um, We'll be talking about it a little bit later on in the podcast. And Sarah's completely surprising me with these results. As we mentioned before, Sarah's on the science team at work, (laughs) so she does these studies and reports all the time, whereas I'm more on the marketing side of things, so Sarah is perfectly placed (laughs) to do a study for us. Yes, I love working with the data, that's for sure. Dogs and data. (laughs) Dog data. Yeah, this is to my my two loves dogs and data that's great um okay so the first thing i did when i was researching for this was google separation anxiety in dogs as one does you know and i actually learned something and i don't know tell me if you've ever heard that about this so there's a difference between isolation distress and separation anxiety okay have you ever heard of isolation distress no i've never heard about them differentiated in that way it's before. like a little known thing so isolation I, <laughs> isolation distress is when your dog doesn't like being alone okay and it's just generally like your dog is sad to be alone he gets okay. bored he's lonely he's a pack animal it's natural for him to feel this way right um so isolation distress isn't so worrisome a thing separation anxiety is when your dog doesn't want you to leave Mm. so it's not about being alone it's about you leaving him so it's almost as if it's possessive like they it's you specifically that they've attached to or they've imprinted on exactly and so that's something 
I think um, Duke has because it's like when I leave or when Andy leaves, he gets really upset about that. Okay. And it, like even if we're leaving up daycare with other people, he doesn't care that there's other people. He doesn't care that there's other dogs. He doesn't want us to leave. He's completely focused in on the fact that his owners are no more in sight anymore. Right, exactly. So I don't know. Do you think Charlie has any separation anxiety or is it more isolation distress or neither? I actually think it's a little bit more isolation distress. Okay. It depends on, I guess, where he is. When we leave him in the crate during the day, he has a dog barker that comes, but mm-hmm. whenever we put him in the crate, he gets really depressed, which makes me sad, um, but he's not barking, he's not worried, he's not reacting in any sort of way, but when we come to the barn, it's kind of a different thing. We'll leave him, we'll try to, um, maybe I'll try to go out for a ride or something like that, mm-hmm. and he gets really, really stressed out. He right. only calms down when he sees me yeah so it's almost like in the safety of home it's more towards isolation and then when we're at the barn somewhere he doesn't know as well it's total separation he, like, anxiety security of having you there right he needs something familiar gotcha so um for this episode we're focusing more on separation anxiety because that's a legit problem not that isolation distress isn't but i think isolation distress is innate in all dogs because they're pack animals right they don't typically want to be alone right but separation anxiety is like when they are homed in on one person it feels insecure when they're not there right and so there's actually i looked at akc uh the american kennel club's website so it's akc.org um and i found out what are the symptoms of separation anxiety so how do you know like that this is what's going on what are the signs right so the first one is anxious behaviors so if they're pacing whining or trembling when you're getting ready to leave or when you're gone i don't know if how you would know is happening when you're gone unless somebody else is there or you have a camera right um so that's the number one thing what is that camera you have again oh the furbo yes oh my gosh <laughs> so for our listeners i have this thing called a furbo and um it's amazing <laughs> what it does is it's a camera it's, it's there on my kitchen counter and i can check it anytime i want from my phone but the best thing is that you can store treats inside of it and then turn your camera on and, and it click a button and it throws treats it makes a little squeaky noise first it goes <laughs> and then it just throws a treat and duke is so trained you know <laughs> that traditional for or conditional what's it called conditional um, training uh, there's there's something oh i'm drawing like i say it all the time conditioning he, anyway he's conditioned <laughs> Duke is conditioned to come running when he hears that noise and he just gobbles that treat up every time. So that's a great way to kind of keep eye on your dog is maybe the Furbo or my friend has a few videos too that you can speak to them through, which is so great. You can speak to Duke through the Furbo, but it just really confuses him. And I feel (laughs) mean when I do it because he just stares around. So I I don't do it. I just throw treats. Yeah. um, If it makes your dog happy, that's great. (laughs) So there's anxious behaviors um, is the number one sign of separation anxiety. Then there's excessive barking or howling, of course, okay. which thank goodness Duke doesn't do that. I don't know. Is Charlie a barker? Um, he is when we're here. I don't know. Have you ever been around oh, yeah. when I've left him at like the barn? He and cries for you. Yeah. So and yeah. his bark, they, I've been doing a lot of research lately on like the different octaves of a dog's bark. Mm-hmm. And there's some dogs that can get to an octave that's too loud to hear for the human ear without earplugs or something like that. Some yeah. sort of ear protection. And I'm convinced that his bark goes to that octave level. I'm going to have to do some testing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you should get special earplugs and we'll do an episode on it. Yes. <laughs> uh, another one is destructive acts. So that's the things like him chewing up the book. Mm. The funniest one was... It was on a Saturday, and I had been with Duke all day. I was cleaning the house. We were together. We'd gone to the park, and I decided to take the trash out. So I left Duke alone and forgot to close the bathroom door, and I literally just take the trash out and come back in, and he has grabbed an entire roll of toilet paper and is strung uh, all <laughs> over the apartment and, like, shredded everywhere. Oh, my gosh. And he's just running around with it. And he never does that when we're home because he knows he's not supposed to. Yeah. But he was, like, taking revenge because I had left. Isn't there always a part of you that gets a little jealous when your dog does that? And you're like, man, I wish I could just have a moment like that where you tear up all the toilet paper or something and you just go crazy. That's called being a toddler. 
<laughs> I want to be a toddler. Which I actually heard once that dogs have the mental capacity of a two-year-old. So ah, there you go. That's it. <laughs> good benchmark. Yeah, exactly. Um, accidents in the house are mm. another sign of this. Um, excessive salivation, drooling, or panting. Mm. That one was a surprise to me. That that resonates with me, especially with my old my English Mastiff. Mm-hmm. Um, he always was salivating a lot, just in general. But then, whenever he was super uncomfortable in the situation, it was definitely excessive. It was uncontrollable. Oh. So that makes a lot of sense for me. Gotcha. I never, I didn't know that was a thing. So, cool. Yeah, Duke doesn't really drool at all. Only it's so. I think drool is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would if, have never survived with peanut. <laughs> I think I would probably just get over it at that point. Yes. But, Oh, drooling. So Duke only drools when, if you give him something really yummy or spicy and he wants more of it, then he'll sit there and watch you and drool. Yes. And then I get grossed out. Okay. Desperate and prolonged attempts to escape confinement. That's definitely true. I guess, actually, now that you're listing all of these things, I think that Charlie definitely suffers from separation anxiety. That's why we had to put him back in the crate. He was destroying things. He was constantly trying to get out. He was successful sometimes um, when the gate, like I mentioned in the last episode. Um, but, yeah, I think he definitely does. Yeah, it's kind of eye-opening. Um, this one is actually the reason why we had to get rid of our dog crate. Because of the desperate attempts to escape confinement, uh, Duke was hurting himself trying to get sad. out of his crate. He mm. was rubbing his face on it so much that we came home once and we'd only been gone like an hour but his nose was bleeding on top of it from rubbing it on the crate so much so after that we said no more crate and he actually got better right with just chilling out while we were gone i think maybe the crate made him claustrophobic or something which is surprising because you try to make that a safe space for your dog right yeah we try to always make sure that the crate is not a punishment um so if something ever goes wrong and charlie um we need to tell him that he can't do a certain thing. Yeah. We always make sure that he's not getting put in the crate. We, um, he just has to go in some other corner or something like that <laughs> or sit or yeah. um, he can't have his toy. But um, we always make the crate a very positive experience. That's good. I think I wanted to do that, but the, I think it was hard with our apartment. And so I ended up being bad and using it as a training tool also when he was little. So maybe that's why it didn't become so much a safe space. And then also... When he was a puppy, he hated, even then he hated for us to leave him, and we'd try to put him in bed in his crate and then leave the room, and he would just cry and cry. And I think to him it was always this thing that kept him from us. Yeah. Instead of, like, a safe place where we could go to chillax. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the dogs that I've known throughout my life that have loved their crate is they're put in there when they're going to bed Mm -hmm. or they're put in there when maybe it's um, just downtime or they're getting their treats or some people will even feed in their crate. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way to do it as well. Our um, little Jack Russell, he loves a crate. He'll always sneak in there. (laughs) He's always taking over um, Charlie's crate. So we definitely have to get him one of his own <laughs> just because he loves <laughs> it so, so much. That's so cute. What a good boy. <laughs> he is such a good boy. But he's so good around the house. And it's um, he's so good around the house when we're gone. He doesn't mm-hmm. do anything. So he's allowed to have the room in the house. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, I bet Charlie will get there, but he's still so young. Yes. So it just it takes time. Yes. So distracting to have the horses out here. I just want to watch them go. I know. <laughs> For our listeners, we are recording this at the barn where we ride horses in the viewing room so we're actually watching horses go around the riding ring while we record it's so fun to watch it is really fun i really like this recording and it's spot. all of our fun it's all of our friends i know <laughs> hi friends <laughs> oh rachel and moxie look great they do look great get it girl <laughs> Okay, so one point I want to make before we move on from these things that show separation anxiety is that your dog doesn't have to have everything I just listed in order to count as having separation anxiety. Just one or two of those can be an indicator. Okay. So it's just good to know. So if you're listening and thinking, oh, my dog doesn't have all of these, he doesn't have separation anxiety, um, he might have it if, even if he just shows one or two of these things. Each dog is different and separation anxiety can come out in a lot of different ways, just like anxiety can show itself in different ways in humans. It's so true. 
And it, did it mention anything about certain breeds or can pretty much every kind of dog? Yes. Let me segue into that. Okay. I'm going to skip forward a little bit and we'll go back to the other article I wanted to talk to talk about. Okay. But um, I actually found an interesting article from, ironically, Furbo, um, who it makes sense that they would have research on separation anxiety because they're selling dog cameras that help entertain your dog while you're gone. Right. Um, so I found from Furbo the top 10 breeds that are most commonly found to have separation anxiety. Okay. So number 10 was the toy poodle. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, as I go through this list, I think you're going to realize a lot of them are high-energy dogs. Yes. Which is going to relate to something I'm going to talk about when we get to this other article where exer- exercise was a key Helps a lot. factor. So I think dogs that require more exercise are probably more prone to that separation anxiety because it's hard to get to that threshold where they're tired enough to not feel anxious when you're gone. And again, something that happens with humans as well. I find that when I'm not exercising enough, I'm definitely feeling more signs of or I feel anxious more often, things like that. So that makes a lot of sense that dogs are played with that as well. It does. You know, I have to run every day or I get, like, antsy, like yeah. crazy antsy. So I can, I understand with dogs. Right. They're super high energy. Right. All right, so number nine is the German short-haired pointer. Okay. Number eight is the Wiesla. That makes Which a lot of sense. Very high. There they is are this, so high energy. There is this woman with a visa that goes to the park that I bring Duke to. Yes. And that dog will keep going for an hour after Duke has decided he just wants to lay down. Oh my grass. gosh. I bet that dog could go all yes. day. I'm so impressed by their energy levels. Oh my gosh. And they're such beautiful dogs. And so she has the, um, I call it the flinger. I don't know <laughs> what its real name is. It's one of those things. It's a long stick with a scoop at the end. You skew up the ball and you can fling it really far. I knew exactly what you meant by the <laughs> second you said flinger. <laughs> I know you it should rename it <laughs> the flinger <laughs> go get the flinger hon <laughs> anyway she throws the ball with the flinger I can't say it without giggling <laughs> and it goes across the park and the dog goes after it full speed over and over again it never seems to get tired they are so fast I love <gasps> we should do one time I'd love to know how fast each dog breed can oh go oh my gosh we have to we should write notes during this we have so many ideas I know we like generate ideas during I guess we're recording so we could go back yeah that's true <laughs> we could we listen to our auditory audience. notes yeah <laughs> Um, okay, then the Bichon, I don't know how to say the second part of this. Is it Bichon Freeze? Freeze. Freeze, okay. Bichon Freeze. Bichon Freeze. My Mimi wanted a Bichon Freeze her entire life, and my grandfather always had hunting dogs, and she just always, always, always wanted a Bichon Freeze. She loved their little, little cute. They're really puffy ones. Yes. Okay, okay, so after the Bichon Freeze, there's the Australian Shepherd. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. I always, whenever someone says that they want an Australian Shepherd, I'm going to preface this by saying I love Australian Shepherds so much. Yeah. I think they're highly intelligent. Our instructor actually has a Australian Shepherd. Oh, my gosh. I followed her on Instagram yesterday. Yeah. Oh, side note. Follow <laughs> us on Instagram. What is dog What is <laughs> um, Yeah, I followed her on Instagram. I saw a picture of her Australian Shepherd. And he is so cute. Or yeah. She, but it? I always try to tell people that they should really watch. be careful if they're going to get an Australian Shepherd because they really do have to exercise so often for that dog to feel satisfied. Yes. I think that's a real problem with any kind of big working dog or herding dog. Yeah do have a lot of energy but people want to get them just to be family pets right um and our instructor it makes sense because she actually has her own full working farm at home exactly so the australian shepherd just has their the whole run of the farm which is really nice it's awesome yeah i mean it's great if you're gonna bring your dog to the park with the flinger and (laughs) across the park a million times as long as you're with the flinger the whole time Okay, after the Australian Shepherd is the German Shepherd. Okay. Um, makes sense that not only do they need a lot of exercise, I think this is also true of Australian Shepherds, they need, like, mind exercise. They really do. They're really smart and they need a job to do. They do. So, um, yeah. Then, the Jack Russell Terrier. That makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. even though I will say, with everything that I've said about Brody so far, by the way, I love him. I listened back to the other episodes and I was like, ooh, I didn't put him in the best light. I do love him so much. He is so calm for Jack Russell. Mm-hmm. He, um, and by calm, I just mean that he doesn't actually um, outwardly display that he need, he has a lot of energy. It seems to just come out in anxiety. I'm actually going to cut this part because it doesn't make any sense. I actually <laughs> think all of his energy comes out in like his anxiety and biting and stuff like that. So I might cut all that out. Well, 
You don't have to cut it out. Well, now we're cutting it. All right. Can you say the Jack Russell again? (laughs) Number four is the Jack Russell Terrier. That makes a lot of sense to me. I can imagine Jack Russells need have so much energy, and they need to really um, get that all out of them. They can be quite anxious, and I think that's a lot of um, Mr. Brody's um, issues is that if he doesn't get a lot of exercise, he can get a little bit more anxious around the house. Yeah. Cool. We're not cool. <laughs> Number three. We're in the top three now okay. for separation anxiety. The Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Oh, my God. Now, this one surprised me because I read that they're very calm dogs. I love them. They're Sarah. so sweet. I read they're great for apartments, very calm, great companions. So I wonder if in this case it's not an energy thing. Side note, I also love a Cavalier King Charles, and Andy and I want one someday. I wanted one from since I was five. They're so oh. precious. So we think that maybe it's not the energy level. It's that they get so attached to their owners. That makes a lot of sense to me because I remember when I was reading it, I don't necessarily want one anymore, but I did want one from five to like 18 and they are such good family dogs and they're just really loyal. They're like like mild and sweet. Right. So is that the kind of dog that's in Lady and the Tramp? Is she supposed to be a cavalier? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about it before. I wonder if she's a little big, but sometimes cartoons, they get a little distorted. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Another (laughs) one. All of our cartoon dogs that we all love. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I think they're making a live-action version of that one, too. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, Alexa looks great on top. I know. (laughs) Everybody's looking great today. I know. Number two, the Border Collie. Of course. Yeah. No, Border Collie has so much energy. I think everything we said for the Australian Shepherd and the German Shepherd goes to the Border Collie. Right. Trails. And the herding, anim- herding dogs. Yeah. Um, I had a Sheltie growing up who is oh, just yeah. basically a miniature sort of Border Collie. I love Shelties. They're oh, so precious. Oh my gosh. They're so <laughs> fluffy. Yes. <laughs> but she was always hurting us. Like if we were running in the yard. Oh, she bites your ankles, right? She never bit, but she would circle us a ton, and she would always circle the cars. She had to hurt everything that she saw. It was just, like, in her brain. She had to do it. I am so perplexed at where hurting instinct comes from. Agreed. I know. Why is it, like, ooh, let me try to get you somewhere? It's so... I know. I know. And was that developed over time? And how does that get passed down from... Is it behavior, or is it nurture? Another episode. Nature, nurture. (laughs) Are you ready for number one? Yes. Drum roll. Alright, it's the Labrador Retriever. Oh. Which I was surprised by. I am surprised. Because they tend to be, I know they can be hyper and high energy and stuff when they're younger, um, but no more so than many other dog breeds that I would, that I think of. And especially no more so than like a German Shepherd or Border Collie. Um, I can I can only imagine um, labs they get so hyper focused on certain things like mm-hmm. rocks like picking up rocks or balls or things like that. Yeah. So maybe they just get really really attached to certain yeah, items. They are extremely loyal dogs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're the most common dog in America, but they're very common. For yes. Sure. Yes. I mean we're talking all three, four black lab, yellow lab, white lab. Is there such a thing as a white lab? I think there is. There is. And chocolate lab. So all of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was trying to think of like another color. <laughs> the blue purple lab. Yeah, the blue lab. <laughs> Which isn't that weird actually. There's like the blue tick coon hound and stuff. But... Alright, so now I'm going to talk about a study where uh, they explored the causes of separation anxiety in dogs. Okay. And this study I thought sounded really reputable. Reputable. (laughs) Pause. This study I thought sounded really reputable. Laurel's giggling because I just said reputable the first time I said reputable. Okay, sorry, sorry. (laughs) This study I thought sounded really reputable. What are you trying to do? A podcast after work? No. Uh, Alright. This study I thought sounded really <laughs> reputable. Oh 
reputable. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking of Rasputin. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny. Okay. Uh, so now I'm going to get into a study done by Katrina Tira. And- <laughs> I'm just skipping it now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Ooh, all right, it's not funny. This is not funny. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. It's okay to laugh. <laughs> so let's get into a study that actually explores the causes of separation and anxiety beyond exercise. Great. So I found an article by Katrina. Katrina. <laughs> Laura's laughing because I can't talk tonight. <laughs> okay. So I found an article by Katrina Tira and Hans Loy of the Department of Veterinary Biosciences and Research Programs Unit of Molecular Biology in Finland, which I realize is a mouthful, but I thought it sounded pretty legit. So I decided that I wanted to explore more in this study. And it was really interesting because it was a study on early life experiences and exercise and how that impacts um, two things, actually. It was separation anxiety and noise sensitivity. Ah. So basically whether your dog reacts when it hears a noise. Like, okay. for instance, do all the time hears somebody in the hallway of our apartment building and barks at the door. Oh, yes. It's very annoying because he's the loudest bark. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's noise sensitivity. My focus was separation anxiety, but what was interesting was that the factors that were most important in avoiding separation anxiety later in life came in early puppyhood. Okay. Um, And they were socialization with other dogs and puppies and exercise, of course, as we talked about. But the number one predictor was something called maternal care. And this is only in the early stages of their life, or...? This was in the early stages of life. So this study was conducted via survey of okay. dog owners of the care that their dog had as a puppy. Okay. So, so that's so it sounds like the puppy years are extremely important years. very important years. So this thing called maternal care is, like, really, really important. I've never heard of that before. I hadn't either. And so you might be wondering, like, what is that? I am. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> Um, so maternal care is basically how much time the mother dog spends with her puppies and also the quality of the time. Okay. You know, so is she spending a lot of time nursing the puppies or is she getting up and leaving frequently? Is she like, you know, nuzzling that? I don't know. (laughs) It's so interesting to me that there is like, can be bad dog moms and good dog moms. Yep. Because just the same as humans, it's just that some dogs have that maternal instinct really strong and some don't. It's just really interesting. Right, exactly. So when they surveyed people who own dogs for this research, they asked people basically, um, were they aware of how the mother of their dog spent time with the puppies and how much time was spent, the quality of the time and so on. That probably has something to do with the reason for why a lot of breeders don't want to um, pull the dogs away from the mother before, I think it's six to eight weeks. Yeah, it's usually, I think it's eight weeks usually. Uh, it differs by country and region and things like that. But actually this study recommended 12 weeks. Wow. um, Wow. Because of the importance of uh, socializing your puppy and that maternal care. Um, that might be why there's so many dogs that have separation anxiety these days is because they're not getting enough time with their mother. Right. And Exactly, and when they're taken away at six or eight weeks or whatever from the other puppies, they're also not getting that socialization. Okay, so let's get into the study that I did. Okay, so... I've totally saw that noise from you. (laughs) No, the noise is... Oh, that's right. (laughs) So Laura's noise is... (laughs) Alright, so... We did a study for this episode, and I wanted to know what people did with their dogs during the day, and whether their dogs were explaining traits of separation anxiety. Right. So, um, I used Qualtrics and MTurk, and I discovered too late that because I had a free Qualtrics account, it wouldn't let me export the data. Ah. So there I was last night manually, like, typing each piece of data Stop in, it. into a spreadsheet. <gasps> yeah. Oh. So now we had a small sample because I was being cheap with it. We had only like 50 <laughs> respondents. Um, Can you just explain to me too what Qualtrics and Enter is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let me get <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <I guess. laughs> Ramble off on these things. Okay. 
Qualtrics is a survey platform. It's okay. my favorite. It's a very powerful survey platform where you can enter your questions, distribute your survey, analyze your responses, things like that. And who, like, who would be taking the survey? So that's where MTurk comes in. Okay. So I build the survey in Qualtrics, and then I link it into this platform called MTurk. It stands for Mechanical Turk, and it's powered by Amazon. Okay. So first I'm going to walk you through just what I call the demographics of our data, and that's basically things like, um, for this one, it's just like, how many dogs do you own? Sure. So for our survey about, let's see... I don't have the exact numbers here, of course, because my chart looks like this. I'm That's sure okay. I a bar chart, but uh, about 65% of our respondents had one dog. Okay. And then a little over, let's see, looks like 15% had two dogs. Same with three dogs. So those were about equal. And then a few people, just a couple people had four dogs. And then nobody had five. Four dogs is a lot. When you have four dogs or more, you have to get a kennel license. Do you really? Yes. That is just telling you that you have a lot of dogs. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The next demographic point is how much time these dogs are spending alone in a day. So if anybody said that their dog spends no time alone or less than an hour alone, then I didn't include their results in my analysis because I was specifically focused on dogs who spend time alone during the day. Right. A significant portion. Right. Exactly. So most of our dogs, let's see, it was around 15 to 20% evenly distributed across all of these. So most dogs, I mean, maybe let's see, 20% spent one to three hours alone, then about 15 spent three to five, and then five to seven, eight to 10, it was all fairly even between 15 and 20 to 25. Yeah, I'd say that Charlie probably in the, um, we do have a dog walker, but he probably stays about four hours alone. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's a Duke. Well, Duke doesn't spend any time alone. Because? Because Andy works from home. Right. Um, but I mean, what would be alone if Andy has to go visit a client or something? So it's never more than four hours. Right. Two people said their dog spends 10 to 12 hours alone a day, which is I have had some friends that have done that with their dogs and their dogs are okay with it. I, I personally would feel a little bad about leaving the dog home alone that long, but um, maybe they have some sort of bathroom solution or something like right, that. Right, exactly, or a dog walker or something coming in. Yeah. Yes. And then nobody said their dog spends more than 12 hours alone, which... Good. That was good. That was great. <laughs> Glad to hear that. And then the question was, um, which solutions do you most frequently use when you leave your dog home alone? Okay. And the most... Frequent res- response that I got, um, this is 49% said none of the above to my options. And so I was trying to think what option did I miss or are people just not using any of them at all, just leaving their dogs loose in their house. So these are the options. Okay. It was doggy daycare. Yep. Dog walker. Yep. Other caretaker. Okay. Dog crate. Yes. Other please specify. <laughs> and the one person who answered other please specify said that they had a dog house in their yard. Okay. So they must have it like fenced in or something like that. Gosh, that would make me so nervous. I'd be so afraid that Charlie would try to escape or something like that. Yeah, I would be nervous about that too. But if you have a high fence, yeah. you know, and, and you're, maybe if you have like a dog who's pretty chill. And you feel really, really confident that nothing will go wrong. Yeah. I would be so scared of somebody stealing Duke out of my fence. Same. Well, Duke is such an interesting dog breed. So how many, can you give the rundown of um, general percentages of yeah. what, how, for yeah. the, the options? I'm just wondering, we'll do that, and then I want to hear if you can think of anything that I might have missed. Like, okay. Why do some people say none of the above? Yeah. Let's, can we go through the percentages yes. first and I'll think on the way. Okay, so for doggy daycare, it was, looks like 7%. Okay. And these might not add up exactly because I am rounding them. Yes. I'm looking at the chart. Um, dog walker, 12%. Other caretaker, 8%. Dog crate, say 28%. And then you had the other? The other, yeah. So I think if people were just leaving their dog home alone without the dog crate, I think that's probably what that might be a huge portion, right? Because if you think about how you would have answered for Duke, you probably would have answered other there just because you wouldn't have had an option. That's true. Um, I would just say, yeah, other out of the above. Right. But then I wouldn't have answered that he spends time alone during the day. 
True, but when you do leave them home alone, like if you're a survey taker and you were leaving them home alone, that's probably the option you would think of. Yeah, that's probably it. Okay. So the next question I asked people was, um, I asked them to tell me the extent to which their dog displays various behaviors of separation anxiety, and then I listed out each of the behaviors individually. Yeah. So for anxious behaviors like pacing, whining, or trembling, only... 2% said that their dog always does that when they leave. Okay. And then 6% said their dog does it most of the time. Yep. And 6% said their dog does it about half of the time. Did you say 6 or 60? 6. 6. Okay. So it's really small. So put all those together and so you have 12, 14% saying their dog displays those behaviors some like half the time or more. Okay. So that's, it's lower. It's a low amount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a lack... I wonder if people actually know. It's true. You might not be aware. Right. So, um, I forget. Did I ask if it was when they leave? I think I said when you leave or when you're preparing to leave. So, they might be aware of it when they're preparing to leave, but like after you're gone, you might not know. Right. So, the next one was barks or howls excessively. That was much lower. Um, let's see. To look, Looking at half the time or more, we're at 8% of dogs do that. Okay. So pretty low. That's encouraging. Lowest of all, it's actually 3.85% reported this. Destroyed household items. Ah, so God, I'd be in that realm. <laughs> yeah, I'm in that realm too. So we're the, we're the 3.8% Laurel. That's shocking to me. I know so many dogs who have destroyed things. 80% of the respondents says, said that their dogs never do it. And the rest said sometimes. Interesting. <laughs> Has an accident, um, so basically, like, peeing or pooping yeah. while you're gone, was also really low. That was just 4% said their dog does it half the time or more. Okay. I, yeah, I don't think any of my dogs really have had an accident at home. Yeah, that's so. good. Um, I don't think Duke has since he was a puppy and right. trained. Right. 35% said their dog sometimes does it, though, which is much higher than the sometimes category for the other Yes. Yeah, maybe sometime you were a little bit later or something happened and you couldn't get back in time. All right, the last one was makes attempts to escape confinement, like from a crate, a room, or the house. Mm -hmm. And this one was pretty low. 12% of people said their dog does it half the time or more. Okay. So I think for all of these, we're seeing that it's like not too many dogs. It seems like maybe 4 to 12% of these dogs are showing at least one sign of sex. Something that I looked at, I wanted to see if there's a correlation between the amount of time dogs spend alone today and their level of separation anxiety. Okay. So what I did was I took all those factors that we just walked through and yes. I created something called an anxiety index or okay. anxiety score. And basically it um, assigns a number to whatever option they clicked and it's a higher number if their dog displays it more frequently and it's lower if their dog doesn't. Okay. And so then I ran a correlation to see if there is a relationship. And yes. guess what? There was none. Okay. So there's no relationship to if your dog stays home longer hours or less. So it's almost like it's more so to do with the ex- the things we've talked about. Exercise, breed. Right. Um, mothering. What was that? Maternal care. Maternal care. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I honestly thought that it was going to be different. That it would be dogs who spend more time alone would have higher levels of separation anxiety. I would but think the same thing. maybe they're used to it. Like, it's part of their routine. Yeah, and so people can stop feeling so guilty that they're, that they're causing that in their dogs. I think there's right. a lot of guilt tied to that sort of behavior, and um, their owners might be feeling bad. So Sarah's here to tell you that you don't have to feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and so the other thing I wanted to look at is the differences in that in the average of that separation index between the different solutions people were using. Okay. So, um, so again, our solutions were daycare, dog crate, or dog walker. Those are the ones I honed in on because they were the ones that had enough responses to yes. look at the difference in the averages. Okay. So the one with the highest separation index, it was 8.7. And so just for a little bit of context, the minimum score a dog could possibly get on the anxiety index was 5. And the maximum is 25. Okay. So the average was only 7 points for the three. Not too Because bad. as we walked through those, remember, it was it was really low yeah. numbers. So it was the separation anxiety average. So it's only 7.3. Um, 
the highest one was 8.7. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the highest average, and that was for people who use a dog walker. Interesting. Yeah. So I have actually felt this before, mm-hmm. and my reasoning for why I've kind of had this hypothesis, of course, I would have never come to this conclusion without this data, but I always feel like when you go in, you see it when you walk into a house or when you're about to go somewhere or something like that. The dogs always anticipate, they feel this huge sense of relief when someone finally comes back or home. Yeah. And then they only have that short period of time and then they're left again. So it's just like they're not getting enough time. It's like they're riled up and then they have to be calm again. Right. Would you say that's true? They're just not getting enough time? Maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, I can't say for sure. I also think maybe the presence of a stranger coming in. Like, yeah. I know, I love our doggy daycare slash dog walker that we use when we need to. Yeah. But it is a, sometimes a different person every time. Right. So maybe it's, you know, somebody that they're not as familiar with or something just right. coming into the house and that could add to that separation anxiety. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so here are the others. The lowest, by a little bit, the lowest was daycare. Okay. Um, and I think that makes sense because the dog would spend all day, you know, with distractions, other dogs, <laughs> people, maybe seeing the same people every day. Yes. Um, and it's getting that energy, it's getting lots of exercise. Right. They do, when Charlie was going to daycare, he was getting so tired at the end of the day, he would just come in and collapse. He had no more energy left at all. <laughs> he definitely got it all out of daycare. <laughs> yeah. Duke did too. When he was a puppy, we would send him every day just to get his energy out. Yes. It really helped. Um, and then in between was the dog crate. So okay. not as negative as the dog walker, um, and then not as good as daycare. Um, and so remember, these things could be used in combination. I just asked which one they use as the primary thing. Understood. So this is people who solely use a dog Each crate. Each one of these things. Maybe right. they're only gone for four hours of the day or something like that. Right, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, so the, that's... What I can tell you, I think obviously more research is needed to really clarify this, but it's a start to kind of explore this topic of like different solutions and how they impact separation anxiety. This is all so interesting because I've had some of these hunches in the past, but some of them have been really surprising. Like, um, like I've never heard of the maternal care or, um, I've, oh, it's just certain things that maybe we need to start focusing on more Mm -hmm. in the dog world in general. Maybe we keep our dogs with the, the mothers for longer. So I also have some general solutions you can use to treat separation anxiety. Okay, good. So we're going to go through those next. Yes. So this is beyond my own research, of course. Um, this came from a professional dog trainer named Pat Miller. And I actually, uh, she wrote this for a whole dog journal, but I read her bio and I loved it. I couldn't wait to share this with you. Pat Miller has five dogs, so I guess she needs an AKC or a what is it? A kennel license. She, I guess she needs a kennel license. <laughs> she has five dogs, three cats. I wrote cars, by the way, <laughs> but it's cats and so not cars. Um, five horses, one donkey, and one potbelly pig. <laughs> so she's definitely an animal lover for sure. Yeah, absolutely, she is. Okay, so here's what she said about keeping your dog um, lower and about helping your dog with separation anxiety. The first was exercise your dog well before you leave, but make sure that you end the exercise 20 to 30 minutes before you actually leave. Mm. And the reason for that is that your dog has time to calm down again. Yes. You know, wind down and start relaxing before you leave. Right. The next one I think is one we all know, and that's distracting your dog with a toy, like a stuffed Kong or something. Okay. Um, You know, I like to give Duke peanut butter filled Kong and I put some treats in there and make them really hard to get out and I'll chew on that for a long time. Right. They're just distracted before you're leaving. Exactly. That makes sense. And then the next one is make your departures and returns really calm and emotionless. Okay. So you're, there's no like, oh, I'm going to miss you. Hugs and kisses. Uh, yes. You don't because your dog will pick up that you're feeling sad and emotional and think that something's bad is coming. Right. And same with when you return, don't act overjoyed and happy. I know it's hard not to. I'm guilty of this. 
But if you act overjoyed and happy, you're really amping up this whole, like, I'm back. It's so great that I'm back thing. And um, they might miss you more when you leave. That makes a lot of sense for me. I've always tried to, when I'm leaving my dogs, just just walk out the door. It's not an event. It's just me going out into the world. Don't make an event out of it. Whereas I have had some friends who have really, like, they have a ritual that they do before they leave. and. They have to really snuggle each dog, and they say <laughs> goodbye. I love you, and <laughs> it's, I get it. It's, it's hard not, not to. the bad. They're of course being great dog owners, but it's not helping out the dog's mental state. Exactly. And so she says, if your dog does get excited and jump all over you when you return, um, just be calm, turn your back, and walk away. Which I felt. Seems so cold, <laughs> but I guess this is. But you're assigning human emotions to a dog, right? <laughs> That's true. And then when your dog does finally settle down, just be like, "Hey, good boy," you know, but calmly, right? Okay, um, and then these are the two that go hand in hand. The first is, do like mix up your departure routine. So instead of like doing, people are humans of habit, you know. Instead of like doing the whole brush your teeth and then your hair and then get dressed and then make coffee in the same order every day. I'm guilty of that for sure. And then throw in other things that aren't part of the routine randomly. And then likewise, (laughs) and then likewise, mix up your whatever you're doing at home with items from your departure routine when you're not actually leaving. Ah. So those terrible clues that you're leaving become less terrible and they're just part of life. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so the next one was use a safe cue that lets your dog know when you'll be back in a reasonable time. So this is only if you're leaving for a short amount of time, like 15 minutes. Yeah. You use some kind of cue, and I'm not sure what this would actually look like, but some kind of cue that you do when you're leaving, like, I'll be right back, and then you actually do come right back. Okay. Um, and so then your dog knows, like, to chill out. Like, the time when I took out the trash, and was like, he'll be good for two minutes. That's so interesting. I almost, I find that this one and the first one that you said, mm-hmm. they kind of conflict a little bit. What was the first one? Because said- you, um, of not making it an event when you leave. Oh, yeah. And, but then you're kind of a assi- and also not making the same ritual every single time. Yeah. But then assigning some sort of word that signals when you're leaving. So. That's true. It's I- interesting that those two things are a bit conflicting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be doing the cute thing because it it does seem to kind of go against it but maybe for some people I'm more bought into the first ones that you mentioned whereas I can I feel like this would assign some sort of stress yeah it does seem that way although for our listeners if any of them if any of you have ever used this cue thing like we'd love to hear about it yeah we'd love to hear if it works for you Okay, the next one was explore other dog keeping options, like a caretaker, doggy daycare. I think that's obvious, and you know, I think oftentimes it's a financial problem and we're just tough to fit into your schedule. Right. Um, And then remove as many other stressors from your dog's world as possible so that um, he can maintain his equilibrium in your absence. Makes sense. So basically, no probes. No probes. <laughs> no loud TV. Um, the author of this article, let's see, Pat, also said things like no choke change, shock collars, um, any kind of like thing that would punish a dog in your absence um, should definitely not be present. That makes sense. And then the final recommendation was to consider working with some kind of dog trainer to help with your individual situation. Cool. Yeah. And so the question is, I'm not sure, is it a good thing to medicate your dog? I I struggle with this for myself. I've struggled yeah. with anxiety my whole life. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've thought about so often is whether or not I use medication to regulate my own behavior. So I imagine it's the same sort of question for your dog. Um, I go back and forth all of the time, and I'm not sure what the right way forward is I think it matters what level of anxiety you're feeling if your dog cannot function and is becoming a harm to himself Mm -hmm. or herself then I would agree that medication is the best way to go yeah that sounds about right I think using medication on somebody or something that's 
doesn't know that it's taking it, and so it's involuntarily being given medication. That's another point. Is, I think, a very controversial topic, and I'm mm. not sure where I stand on that. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Especially if, for instance, a dog is not always able to report any other side effects it might be experiencing, so it's up to you to make sure you're watching those. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if... I mean, being drugged up and mellowed out, you know, involuntarily is necessarily a good thing. But again, to your point, if a dog is a harm to itself or others and there's you need something to maybe calm it down while you put other training in place, maybe that's the best solution. Right. Or, I mean, I know some dogs even, like especially dogs who have served overseas as you know in the army have ptsd i know and so maybe a medication is a really good option to help them get over their trauma yeah i think i'm okay with humans um giving medication when it's to benefit the animal right i understand that they can't give consent um but they also don't maybe don't understand what's happening to them. And then right. I think we've put them into a world that's unlike their natural habitat. Mm-hmm. So that kind of um, that kind of dispels that argument about, well, that's not natural for them. It's right. Nothing that we're doing right now is natural for them. So right. I think that we it's have true. to take responsibility for the kind of environment that we've put them in and um, work through that together with that dog. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I like that stance. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So that's all I have for you today. Sarah, thank you so much (laughs) for doing all this research. I cannot imagine how much work this was. Oh, it was so fun and I learned so much. It was really great. I learned a lot. I mean, our goal here is really to keep our dogs and our listeners' dogs happy and healthy and keep our houses from being destroyed (laughs) (laughs) while we're gone. Um, So, yeah, to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. And we'd love to hear from you if you agree or disagree with something. It would even be more interesting to us. I think if you disagree, we'd love to hear about it. And we'd love to just open this up as a discussion across Mm -hmm. all dog lovers. We're all here for the same thing. Um, so let's start open up a discussion about it. Yeah, de- so email us our emails dogcaster at whatisdog.com. Yes, please do. Bye everybody. Bye. Have a good day. Oh Night. <laughs> I think also well, as we're saying bye, we'll, we'll add some um eventually music. Yeah, so it kind of fades out. We'd love to add music. Yeah. I kind of like the end when we talk it. But we'll add music. We're gonna get more professional soon. <laughs> Gotta shape up. <laughs> Bye. Bye.